You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Merry Christmas. Happy 1030 service, everybody. Uh, we had some mic issues, so if we, uh, if we have some glitches, just kind of know that we are making do with kind of a cool little thing that Steven Crowder came up with, which is awesome. Um, Today we continue our series, God With Us, and next week we only have one Sunday morning service. Today and next week we're going to look at the real story of Christmas. We're going to take a look at what the scriptures say Christmas is about. What really happened at Christmas? I mean, we, we watch the movies, we see the programs, we watch, you know, uh, the cartoons, or we've, we've seen the Christmas cards, we, we think we know the story, but do we really know what happened that night are the songs true are the christmas specials really the true story of what happened are the pics on the cards accurate it's probably one of the most well-known or most told stories in all of the world but it's also probably the most mistold story as well so over the next couple weeks we're going to look at the true story of god with us using scripture and scripture alone Today we're going to use Matthew's story. Uh, Matthew is one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus, and he wrote the Gospel of Matthew to tell the story about who Jesus is, and uh, he recorded it down with the writings and teachings of Jesus in the book of Matthew. So we're going to take a look at Matthew's story and some thoughts along the way. We're going to begin with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, this is the genealogy of of Jesus, which is the family tree. This is the family tree of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. He wasn't literally the son of David. He was from the family of David. Uh, This is several generations, roughly 77 generations since Abraham. So there's a a big gap here. He wasn't literally the the son, but he's of the family of. It shows he's from that family tree. So it says, the son of Abraham, uh, he goes on to say, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of uh, Amenab. Uh, the rest goes on. There's over 42 names. I'm going to spare you the rest. How many of you guys skip over the genealogy generally? Yeah, just like, oh. <laughs> I'm sure you're going, Lord, forgive me, right? Because you're like, I can like I'm skipping the Bible and you're like there's got to be something wrong with this right God I'm sorry I just so you skip it so we're actually going to come back to it in a minute so 42 names are given 77 generations verse 16 picks up and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah Matthew and Luke's genealogy are different if you look at them that's because Matthew tells the story of Jesus through the family and eyes of Joseph, while Luke is the story in the family of Jesus through the eyes or life of Mary. So we're getting one side of the picture here with Joseph. Uh, Most people skip the genealogy, let's be honest. We usually do, but this lays an incredible foundation for Jesus that is extremely important. We're going to look at some wise guys today. And the first wise guy is Matthew. And what Matthew tells us is this, lessons from the, Matthew, uh, from the wise guys right from the start is this, Jesus is for real. This is why that genealogy is so important. That's why the family tree is so important. Jesus is rooted in history. He's not a made-up person. He's not a mythological 
figure. He didn't magically appear. No, Jesus is rooted in the history of real people because Jesus is a real person. A lot of us think, well, I believe in Jesus. He lived. Well, I'm glad you believe in it, but whether you believe in him or not, he exists and he is real. He lived. He walked the earth. He was crucified and that tomb is empty. He is real. And Matthew right off the top says, this isn't some mythological character. This isn't some story that you might have heard. This is a real person who has a real family and he's rooted in the historical context. God came and Jesus was born in a real place at that moment of history in Bethlehem. It establishes Jesus as the rightful king of Israel from the family of David. Matthew is writing to Jewish people, so he traces Jesus all the way back to their father of their faith, who is Abraham, and to their greatest king, who is David. And Jesus is the Messiah. You guys remember last week what we said Messiah means? Uh, Hamashiach, Jesus, Yeshua, Yeshua Hamashiach means Jesus the Messiah. It means Jesus the promised anointed one. In Greek, the word Messiah is translated Christ. It's the same word. Christ and Messiah, same word. And they mean the promised anointed one, the one they have been praying for since Abraham. Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the time had fully come, the idea is fully wrapping fruit. Anybody here buy bananas that are slightly green so that they last a little bit longer, right? You buy maybe some green or some avocados that are a little bit harder and you just kind of hold off because you want them to, you know, ripe a little bit in your presence so that you can make perfect you know, smoothies or great guacamole, perfect, right? Because you get it when it's before it's ripe. So when the time is ripe, when the time is ripe, man, you just, you cut into that avocado, right? This is the context or the idea, the meaning here in Galatians, that when the time was ripe, when history, history was ripe for the season, at that moment, it says, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law. God perfectly prepared every detail of history for that day. See, the time had come. Matthew 1.18, it says this. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. So throw all the cards out the window, throw out the little storybooks and, and the cartoons and stuff. Some of them have it right, but some of them are way off. This is how it came about. His mother was pledged to marry Joseph. Pledged, some of the translations say betrothed. That's a big word. That basically means a contractual agreement between families that they will get married. This was an agreement made when they were kids usually. And so Mary and Joseph growing up in the same town had known each other since they were young kids. And this agreement between their parents was set. It was an obligation, a contractual family agreement. They were betrothed. It was greater than an engagement. It says, but before they came together, before they consummated their wedding, before they actually were married, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, hold on a second here. Put yourself in his shoes. Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. So think about this. You've known this girl your whole life. It's been an agreement with your parents. You've, you've warmed up to her. You care for this person. As we're going to find out, Joseph really did care for her. And all of a sudden you find out she's pregnant. And you're like, man, I, mind blown. Now, here's what's even stranger in the history of the ancients. 
This age of Mary could have been anywhere between 14 and 17 years old. She was just a teenager. And Joseph was just a teenager, probably a little older than her. And this agreement had been made, and now he finds that this, this girl that he had promised to marry, that he was looking forward to marry, was, was now pregnant through the Holy Spirit. He didn't even know what that meant. He's about to find out. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. That means he loved the Lord. He followed the word of God. We know a few things about Joseph in the Gospels. This is what we know about Joseph. He was a carpenter. And by the way, we don't know if Jesus was a carpenter. We know his dad was a carpenter. Now, in ancient times, you usually did what your parents did. So there's likelihood that Jesus was probably a carpenter, but we don't know. We know his dad was. His stepdad, his biological father, is not Joseph. But his, his stepdad was a carpenter. We also know that Joseph was faithful to God's word. As, as it says here, he was honorable. He cared for Mary. And it says, yes, this yet he did not want to expose her, Mary, to public disgrace. So he had the mind to divorce her quietly. That means call off the wedding. They're not actually married yet. So he's, he has in his mind to protect her shame, to protect her honor, to not make it a big deal, to quietly end this agreement, to bring to end this betrothal contractual marriage agreement. But after he had considered this, we don't know how long, maybe months, maybe days, maybe uh, weeks, after thinking about it, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, in a vision, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important to know that this was a miracle conception. Mary did not have sex to get pregnant. You see, the entire life of Jesus is bookend with miracles. It begins with a miracle conception that through the Holy Spirit, Mary became pregnant. Not because of a man, not because she had relations with anybody, not because God used Joseph, but through the Holy Spirit, she hadn't had sex with anybody. Jesus' life began with a miracle, and his life on earth ended with a miracle, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The entire life of Jesus is bookend and filled with chapters of miracles. See, a lot of people, they have a problem with following Jesus because just the mystical and the magical, it seems, the outlandish stories of Jesus, they're just not natural. You're right, they're not natural. That's why they're called supernatural. This is supernatural events, miraculous events. Jesus' life began with a miracle conception. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. Now the word Jesus was a very common name in those days. It meant it was the word Yeshua, which is the same word Joshua. So like if you read the Old Testament and you were to read it in the original and you came across the book of, of Joshua, it's the word Yeshua. And if you look at the name of Jesus, it's Yeshua. Jesus and Joshua are very much the same name. It was a very common name in the ancients because many of their kids were looking forward to God saving them. Now Jesus is given the actual name of the Messiah, the one who is saving. He will fulfill their, their heart's desire in this name. Joseph was to adopt Jesus and raise him as his son. Right from the start, the story of Jesus begins with stigma. 
It begins with, with controversy, and it begins with a tall tale. It begins with something that is, that is hard to believe unless you have the faith to believe it. You would have thought that, it, that the parents of Jesus would be kind of maybe given a break, you know? You think, man, they're given this big responsibility. You're going to be raising up the Messiah, Mary, Joseph, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that you have all kinds of money. We're going to make sure that your life is always nice and that people treat you well, that you get raises at work, and that, and that people are always good to you, and that, you know, you always get the closest parking spot to, to the mall, you know, and that there's no lines whenever you go, and there's always, the coupons are always working at every store you go to. There's like, but we, we kind of assume the same thing for us, too. We give our life to Christ. We say, God, don't, don't I get some benefits for being a Christian? Don't I get the benefits of, I mean, if, the, if, the, if Jesus' own by, uh, earthly parents did not get the benefits of what we think come along with being a, a Christian, then maybe we have this all wrong. Maybe this is not about what we can get out of God at all. Maybe we're not serving Jesus as to what we can take or what we can get, but as to what we can give. And so the story here begins with the parents of Jesus, beginning with stigma. Verse 21, she gave birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, God our Savior, common name that he fulfills, because he will save his people from their sins. What is not recorded in Matthew is Joseph's response. What? in case you didn't know what that word was. I would imagine that if an angel came to me and said, all right, Joseph, uh, Ted, this is how it's going to go down. Okay, your wife's going to be pregnant, but don't worry. It's a miracle. You're pulling my leg, <laughs> you know. Maybe she wasn't showing yet. It was just, you know, this angel said, this is how it's going to go down, and you're, I don't think it'd be like, Sounds cool. Count me in. I think there'd be some resistance. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet or through the prophet that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The, this is pretty big news to drop on a man. I'll be honest with you. Your soon to be wife is miraculously pregnant to the savior of the world. You are going to be stepdad to God. Are you up for the challenge, Joseph? Second thing I want you to know about this wise guy is Joseph was the wise guy, and he understood this, that tomorrow's guidance begins with today's obedience. Joseph could have said no. He could have said, I wanted a divorce. I want to call this off. He could have said, no, it's too much. I, I'm not ready for this kind of responsibility I'm not ready for this weight on my shoulders. I don't know. I don't think you picked the right person, God. Why did God choose Mary and Joseph? Was Mary any different than any one of you ladies? Was Joseph any different than any of you? All we know about them is that Mary loved the Lord and she was counted blessed. And she had favor in God's eyes. That's all we know about her life is that she loved the Lord and that God gave her favor. That's all we know about Joseph, that he was faithful to God's word, and God picked him. And I'm sure Joseph is weighing on whether he's actually able to do this, but God is saying, hey, listen, Joseph, you can trust me. If you can obey me on not getting a divorce, if you can stay with her, 
Just know that I will guide you tomorrow if you will obey me today. See, a lot of us, we're trying to figure out, God, what do you want for my life when it comes to my marriage, when it comes to me being single, to my job, or to this move, or God, what are, I need to know your plans for me. You know, we got big questions for God. Many of you, you have big questions for God about your life, about your future, and God says, you want to know answers for tomorrow? Simple. Obey me in the small things today. Obey me in the small things today. Learning how to trust and follow God begins with simple steps of obedience. Matthew 1.24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. And he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, meaning they didn't have sex until after Jesus was born. This is important to know because Jesus had siblings. Jesus had half-brothers and half sisters and they're mentioned throughout the gospels in fact one of those guys became a very important person in the early church and he wrote one of the new testament books one of the new testament letters the book of james in the new testament that's jesus's half brother that's joseph's son and mary's son jesus's half brother and he joseph gave him this baby the name jesus joseph's wise choice was to follow God. The story of Jesus' birth in, in Matthew doesn't have a host of angels singing. It doesn't have some, uh, it doesn't have shepherds in the, in the hills up in the night. It's just simply Joseph obeying God to trust him on this. Now, take a look at this picture because a lot of you are like, isn't there like the, some story about some, some, some conehead guys on a camel? You know, these that's not really sure what those are, like maybe these ancient kings or, you know. Have you guys ever heard of, this, of, of the three kings, the three wise men? Who knows this song? We three kings of Orient. Uh, that's all I know. Uh, but that, we sing these songs we, in the nativity. Maybe you have the nativity at your house. This is maybe going to blow away your nativity. You know, just know it's all symbolic anyhow. The nativity is symbolic. It's not actual right? But in the nativity, you have like these three kings with, with three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and the camels are off to the side, you know? And this last week, our 55 and better went to a Christmas program at, 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 a, at a church, a large church in the area, and you know, you ever gone to one of those Christmas programs? You know, it's supposed to be the quiet, humble birth of a Savior, but it ends up being this big extravaganza with laser shows and smoke, and kings and camels walking into the church, which is kind of cool, you know. And their robes that are like 100 feet behind them, bringing these gifts, right? And you're like, but that's not how it happened at all. In fact, what follows in Matthew is a careful account of some wise guys, often depicted as three kings, but they're not kings. We don't know how many there were. And they probably and possibly weren't at his birth. So let's take a look at what the Bible actually says about these wise guys in Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It's hard to imagine Christmas without them, so let's check it out. It says, verse 1, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came. Now that's all it says about what they were, that they're Magi, from the east. So let's break that down a little bit. Magi is where we get the word 
magic. It means mysterious. Uh, um, it doesn't necessarily mean a cult. It just means someone, in their case, it means someone who is able to interpret dreams, someone who read the stars. They were probably not followers of the ancient writings of Moses and the Hebrews. It was believed that these wise men were probably Persian, which they would have followed a, a belief system that's known as Zoroastrianism, which they were constantly looking for a Messiah in the stars. So they're looking for the stars and into the stars, trying to interpret the stars for a king, the coming of a king. Now these guys were educated men, they were very wealthy, and they were lost. They were not followers of the Lord God, but they were looking and seeking for this king, bringing expensive gifts from Persia, which is modern-day Iran today. So they came from the east to Jerusalem. Oh, so close. Bethlehem is six miles outside of Jerusalem. Just six miles away. They go to the capital city of the region, and surely the capital city, somebody in this city knows who this king that was just born, that they're reading in the stars, that somebody has got to know. So it says, They went to Jerusalem and began to ask around, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now the star did not appear until Jesus was born. These guys came from far east Persia. So we have this picture of when the star appeared, they began to walk. How long were they walking? How long did it take for them to get there? We're about to find out, but it wasn't the same night. All they knew is that that star meant something great. And they were willing to go and to do whatever it took to find the answer to who that king is. Here's the third thing I want you to write this down. is If, if you sincerely seek him, you will find him. If you are sincerely seeking to know who Jesus is, you will find him. See, a lot of people, they're, they're not really searching for him. They can't find him because they're not honestly searching. What they're doing is they're looking for holes they're looking for cracks in the foundation. They're looking for problems of inerrancy. And so what they're doing is they're, they're looking for excuses to not believe. They're not searching for the answers or the truth. Let me tell you something. The Word of God holds up to scrutiny. You can dissect the historicity of this book, its characters, and the storyline of Jesus. I have no fear, no worries, because if you honestly and sincerely seek the truth, you will be amazed at what you find. Jesus lived. The Bible can be trusted. You don't have to make excuses anymore, honestly, sincerely. If you will seek him, you will find him. The Bible tells us that in many different places. They weren't looking to get anything from him. They simply wanted to find answers. Are you the king? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've all been looking for? Jesus is here. Will you find him? They were starstruck with this image that led them to Jesus. Some of you are starstruck and led astray by false stars. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about false pursuits that guide you, 
that you are following, that you are pursuing a goal, a career, a plan, a dream. And as long as you're pursuing anything else but knowing who Christ is, you will be lost. But the wise will find him. So it says this, verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed because the whole town had been kind of in this rustle. We don't know how many guys there were. There could have been two. There could have been three. There could have been 20. We don't know. But because they were wealthy and because they, they carried these expensive gifts, they probably didn't carry just themselves and a camel. There might have been a, traditionally it's a caravan that travels together in these groups. So there might have been, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 to 30 people, you know, pouring into Jerusalem. All right, guys, spread out, find this king. So they began to search and look all over Jerusalem to find this king. Word got to Herod. He was disturbed. There's people in this town looking for another king? I'm the king. So he gets angry. And when he, Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, most likely it took several days to do this, in fact, he asked them, where's this Messiah to be born? What do the scriptures say about this Messiah and where he's supposed to be born? So in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, and land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the scriptures told the priest that somewhere in this little town of Bethlehem, there is this guy who's supposed to be the Messiah, a king. Well, then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from then the exact time the star had appeared. So he calculated from the time the star appeared and he went back to see how long it might have been. And we found out later that they had been following the star for at least two years. By verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Right. Right. You want to just... That's all you want to do. Tell me where he is so that I can give him a gift. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. I want you to realize this. This was no ordinary star. This was not some comet. Poof, let's follow the comet. I think it went that way. It wasn't Jupiter. It wasn't Mars. It wasn't a weird time of year where there was just some star and they were just kind of led astray. This was a miracle star. The whole story of Jesus is miracles. It's miraculous. So if you struggle with the miraculous, then you're going to always struggle with Jesus. His life is bookend and filled with the miraculous. Because when God steps into the picture, miracles happen. So there's this star. Not only is it a star, but it's a moving star. And it led them six miles. That's how specific this star was of some kind it moved and took them straight to the place where the child not an infant but a child was and when they saw the star they were overjoyed in verse 11 on coming to the house not a stable not a cave not a back alley behind some motel but when they came to the house they saw the child was with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If you stand before a king, 
you bring a gift. I want you to write this down. Uh, we're going to talk about the, these, these gifts. What is with these gifts? Why gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Each one of them represents something that I don't even think that these guys understood. I think they brought some of the most expensive gifts that they could find to offer who, to who they thought was potentially the king of the world, the Messiah, the Savior. See, Zoroastrians, they are also looking for a Messiah, a Savior, a king, because the Zoroastrians are kind of like this, this offshoot of Judaism that left Judah during Babylonian captivity, and they never rounded back to the true word of God. And today, there is a group of Zoroastrians, and they are kind of spreading around the world as well, but they're birthed in Iran and in Persia, and they are still looking for a Messiah. Well, these guys, they found him, and they were bringing the most expensive gifts they had. What were these gifts? Well, we now know today the symbolic imagery of them is the gold because he is king, because this was gold for a king, for a king would wear a gold crown, and the gold symbolizes that this is the king of kings. And, and then they brought them uh, frankincense. Uh, this frankincense is incense. It's used for priestly worship. It's what's lit and used during times of worship and sacrifice. For Jesus is our chief priest, and we are to worship and pray to him. He is our intercessor to the Father. He alone is the one that we are to lift up our worship and prayer to. And then they brought myrrh. What's interesting about myrrh is it's also used for embalming in the ancients. That means they took the myrrh and they would wrap dead people in fabric. In fact, when Jesus was crucified and when he was buried, they wrapped him in cloth and myrrh because that myrrh was a picture of what was to come in his life. It was embalming oil because it was a picture of his death these magi met two kings but they only bowed to the one jesus not knowing what these meant they are actually gifts that we are to bring today some of you you stand before a king today you sit before a king today jesus is here in fact he's everywhere you can't leave the earth you can't go far enough you can't go to the farthest ends of the universe and jesus you can't outrun him you can't get away from him but when you want to know him you must bring these three gifts as well what are these three gifts that we must bring like the gold we must acknowledge that he is king we must bring this idea that god you are king you are ruler you are to sit on the throne of my heart and we are to as well bring the incense for we are to recognize that our worship alone is to god the father through jesus christ and that jesus is our intercessor he is the one who goes before us to the father so we are to bring that worship and we are to bring that myrrh which means we are to recognize that he died for our sins we must recognize the cross and what he has done for us. This is how you become a subject to the king. This is how you know who you are in the kingdom. Three gifts you may not want to give, but three gifts you must understand and give. This is about giving our life to the king. What happened to those wise men? Let's go back. Verse 12, it says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, these wise men, these magi, returned to their country by another route. They took the long way home. They disobeyed a king to save the king. Realize this. A true encounter with Jesus will send you in a new direction. It is impossible for you to say that you are a disciple and continue in the, in the same path and direction you've always been. This is why the Bible again and again says, if you want to know him, you must repent. The word repent means to turn 
away. It means to move in a different direction. See, even the wise men, they finally understood. They finally got the answer that they had been looking for. A true encounter with the King of Kings always moves you in a new direction, in a different direction. That's what Christmas is. It's a new direction. So the passage often overlooked is the next section. It says, When they had gone, when the wise men left the house, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream again. And he said, Get up, Joe. Take this child and his mother and escape. Run to Egypt. Who knew that Egypt was part of the Christmas story? Stay there, I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, Joe got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt in the middle of the night. Verse 15, where he stayed until the death of Herod, which is believed to be about three years. So Jesus lived in Egypt for several years. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord said to the prophet that out of Egypt I called my son. Again, one of over 300 plus prophecies fulfilled through the life of Jesus. I want you to write this down. Number five is this. Following God can lead to some scary places. Following God means that sometimes it's going to get a little scary. You know, my daughter, Noelle, she's uh, going to uh, uh, Africa in a couple of weeks for two months. And uh, Tiny, his daughter, is going to India in a couple of weeks for two months. And his son is going uh, uh, to India for six months. Oh, she's going to Turkey, right? She's going to Turkey, he's going to India, and Noelle's going to Africa. And then uh, uh, Summer and I, and some of you here, we're going to Honduras the day after Christmas. Let me tell you something. The world's a dangerous place. And sometimes following God will take you to scary places. Sometimes that means across the room to talk to someone that you don't normally talk to. Sometimes that might mean across the sea to talk to people who you're not even sure if you're able to talk to. Because when you follow the Lord, it's an exciting adventure, but it's sometimes scary. And I can imagine this great escape. Joe gets up, he gets married, says, guys, we got to go now. Get the kid Get the stuff. We got to go now. We got to pack now. The angel said, you must leave now. And they left that night. They left in a hurry. No Google, no Expedia, no you know, search engines to see what you know, Egypt looked like. No hotels.com to see if there was any rooms. They just left. All they knew about Egypt, that it was a place of bad stories for their people. You might remember that old story about Moses leading the people out of Egypt. They wanted nothing to do with Egypt. It was the place that symbolized sin and slavery for them. And what does God tell Joseph? Go to Egypt, man. Sometimes God will lead you to the most unexpected, surprising places in order to fulfill his promise in your life. He says, I don't want to go, God. I don't want to go. What if he didn't go? What would have happened that night? But as a wise man... He got up, he left, and he obeyed. He trusted God. That's Christmas. And you might, he might have thought, well, God, how are we going to survive in the big city? I'm just a poor man from Nazareth. I mean, we're chilling out and hanging out with families in, in Bethlehem. I, 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 we don't have uh, transportation. I don't have a job. God, how are you going to take care of us? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> That's right. Just a few hours earlier, payload, boom, gold, frankincense, myrrh. I want you to write this down. This is number six. God's provision often shows up in unexpected ways. Well, that just happened to be gold, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh is very, very valuable, very 
very precious treasures. And so God says, don't worry, I got you. I paid for the whole thing. Get going. See, that baby was to be God's provision for our sin, and God's provision shows up in unexpected ways. You may not see a Savior when you look at that box manger that the kids had. I remember this week, we had this box, and my, my wife goes, that's going to be the manger. And I'm like, <laughs> a box? It didn't look bad. <laughs> you know, look kind of cool. Throw some canvas over it, and it's got a manger. But you, know, you don't look at the box and go, ah, Savior. But God's provision showed up that way. This all takes place when Jesus was anywhere between 41 days to two years old. This is how we know. Verse 16. So when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Sadly, the Christmas story includes the death of innocent children. Sadly, the birth of Jesus and the story of those wise men includes the slaughter of countless Boys, because of Jesus? No, because of Herod. He was an evil, wicked man. He was so wicked, history tells us that he killed his own brother, he killed his own mother-in-law, and he killed one of his wives. He was a crazy person, but he was terrified of Jesus. He was afraid of what Jesus would do to his power and authority. I have a question for you. Are you afraid of Jesus being king of your life because you're afraid of what kind of power he's going to take from you? Because right now, apart from Christ, you're your own king. You're your own boss. You call the shots for your own life. But if you were to submit to Jesus, that would mean that he's now the king. He's now the boss. And some of you, just like Herod, are terrified of that little manger Jesus because for you it means a loss of power and a submission to a a king better and greater than you. Do you keep him at arm's length because you want to rule your own life? Or maybe like Herod, you know the truth, but you ignore and try to make it go away. Oh, you're so close. He was six miles from the Messiah, and you're so close, but you're keeping him just far enough to know about him but not know him. Or maybe you have a Herod of your own. Maybe you're a follower of God and you, you have someone in your life or something in your life that's trying to distract you and detract you from God's will. There are things in your life that you need to run from. Joseph, while he's in Egypt, is visited again by an angel of the Lord who says, all right, it's time to go home. And Joseph gets his family and they go back to his hometown in Nazareth where Jesus is raised until his ministry begins. So we started Matthew 1 with a genealogy, a long list of names. But what's special about that name, about those names, is that it's filled with really bad people. It's filled with people who blew it. Christmas is a story of grace. These are some of the names that were in that genealogy. Abraham, he offered his wife Sarah to another man to get out of jail. Isaac died. Uh, sorry, sorry, Isaac lied about his own wife to a stranger, saying that it wasn't his wife, and he lied actually to both his wives. Jacob was a cheater. Judah was a fornicator. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Solomon dabbled 
in the occult. Manasseh was considered the most evil king that Israel ever had. The list of that genealogy in Matthew 1 includes three Gentiles, former prostitutes, harlots, adulterers, illegitimate people, the poor, the abandoned, former pagans, liars. Here's what's great about that genealogy is that it looks like me. It looks like you. The story of Jesus is about people like us who can be a part of God's plan. That's the story of Christmas. It's the story that says that no matter who you are, no matter what your past is, Jesus can save you. That's the beauty of the cross. This year, maybe your family looks like the genealogy of Jesus. Maybe you're looking at that and your family tree looks a lot like Jesus's, full of dysfunctional people who, by the way, Jesus loves deeply. Matthew tells us later on that Jesus is a friend to sinners. So here's the challenge for Matthew today. No matter who you are, no matter what your past is, no matter what you've done, where you've been, or what you've done, Jesus can save you. And you can be part of the plan of the kingdom of God. See, the reason for the season is sin. But the result of Christmas is a relationship with God. Because of sin, Jesus came. That's Christmas. But because Jesus came through forgiveness, we can be free and know the Father again. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much, Lord, for the gospel story. God, thank you for Christmas. It's just part of the story. It's just the beginning. It's just episode one. Father, thank you, Lord. God, I pray that you'd help us to know that it's not some mystery or mystical or some strange childhood fantasy story, but it's a real event that happened in real life with real people. And though maybe we've turned it into some characters that didn't exist, God, forgive us for that, Lord. And maybe we've turned it into songs and implied and added things that aren't even part of the Bible. But Lord, help us to not lose track of the reality that Jesus is real. He lived he performed incredible signs and wonders and he gave his life for us and rose again from the dead to prove that he was truly God in the flesh. And to this day, the tomb is empty. Not because he was stolen, but because he rose from the grave and he stole the keys of death, hell, and the grave. If you're here right now, maybe like Herod, you're terrified of giving your life to Jesus. Or maybe you have a Herod in your life that is pulling you from God right now, and it's time to make a decision on who you will serve, if you will trust and obey God, or if you will submit to this false idol. God, I pray, Lord, for those here that need to know you, Lord. God, thank you, Lord, that everyone here is a candidate for the kingdom of God, if they will bow their heart and their life. If they will bring those three gifts and acknowledge you as king, worship you alone as the Lord and Savior and king of their life, and recognize what you have done on the cross for their sins, God, they can be made new. So if you're here right now, and it's time for you to bow to the true king, Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. Heads bowed, eyes closed real quick. Father, Speak to us right now, Lord. If you're here right now and you would like to, to 
acknowledge Jesus as the king of your life, and you're tired of running and keeping him at arm's length, then day, today is the day. Then repeat this prayer after me. In fact, let's all pray this together out loud to encourage those who are next to you. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, that you came for me. You came to earth for me. You are God with us. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Thank you for the cross. I give my life to you. I turn my life over to you. Be king of my life. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.